0: how are you
1: good how are you guys
0: we are doing great we had some technical issues so we are streaming live on facebook and my wonderful wife is going to be interviewing you okay
1: all right hi janet hi doctor how are you today i'm doing good i'm doing well wonderful
0: so let's go ahead and start off with an introduction of yourself
1: Okay, well, I'm Dr. Tara Scott, and I live in Akron, Ohio, and I um, started a functional medicine practice uh, seven years ago, although I've been in practice over 20 years. So my background is in OBGYN, and that's where my start was, what got me involved in women's health and women's hormones. I have a board certification in anti-aging and regenerative and functional medicine from A4M. I have a second board certification in integrative medicine. And I've got about half of the certification of IFM done. So I'm a little bit of an education junkie. I'm also a certified menopause practitioner, but my passion is just educating women, making sure they know what's out there for themselves so they can live their best lives. And our focus is on prevention. That's
2: wonderful. Um, so I'm wondering if our viewers know what functional medicine really and in integrative medicine um, differs
1: from traditional um, medicine. So could you just give them a little background with that, please? Absolutely. It's so confusing. So I'm glad you asked that question. So, for example, if you came in and you had high cholesterol and you went to your traditional doctor, they would probably put you on a medication. And then you start getting aches and pains from that medication. So they put you on another medication for the aches and pains. They put you on some Advil. And then once you started taking the Advil, then you start getting heartburn. So they put you on a third medication. So we're really trained in traditional medicine to rule out certain things, make sure you don't have a tumor, make sure you don't have something life-threatening, and then treat symptoms. So in functional medicine, instead of just treating you with the symptom, we want to know why. So if you came in with that high cholesterol, I would say, Janet, what are you eating? Let's look at your family history. Let's look at your genetics. Let's talk about your stress and your hormones and how do they affect, how does your thyroid affect your cholesterol? How does your female hormones affect your cholesterol? And let's put you on this type of diet and let's get to the root cause of things by looking uh, at the bottom and at the cause. Integrative medicine is a wider net. It does include functional medicine, but anybody is integrative if they're holistic. So that would include somebody like a chiropractor, that would include an acupuncturist. So it isn't just um, the medical approach. So functional medicine is just the approach to disease.
2: So hand in hand, you're looking for a root cause and you're looking for alternative treatment modalities.
1: Yes. And so sometimes what we do could be traditional treatment. Um, so for example, what we do is we use a lot of commercially available bioidentical hormones. Uh, we do use a lot of compounded hormones as well. But so whatever's best for the patient. And so we still want to being an MD and traditionally trained, I still have to play nice in the sandbox with everybody. And I and we want to make sure what we're doing is evidence based. So I would say I'm kind of a blend in in traditional and integrative and functional therapies, but the approach to disease is different with us.
2: So a compounding pharmacy comes hand in hand when you are using hormone therapy, I'm assuming?
1: For sure. I mean, that's really where I have to say I got my start in all of this is through my compounding pharmacist. And they invited me to go to a conference, which kind of opened my eyes into another way of treating medicine and looking for a root cause. And having a partnership with a compounding pharmacist for me has been life changing because instead of being pigeonholed into what's commercially available. And sometimes what's commercially available isn't the most cost-effective for the patient anyway. So, you know, I have the benefit of training, you know, I got my training with a pharmacist. So he taught me how to look at things like, how does the patient absorb the medication? What does the different routes of administration, how does that differ? And I think a lot of MDs or providers don't get that kind of background. And so I'm really thankful that that was kind of how I was trained.
2: That's wonderful. So that brings us to, um, not only maybe different, um, what makes a compounding pharmacy different than a, a regular pharmacy, but also the products that they can make. How would you say, um, for example, um, progesterone, how would that differ from a compounding pharmacy versus a commercial product?
1: So progesterone is, um, when we look at the risk assessment of progesterone, micronized progesterone, there is no increased risk of uh, breast cancer that I've been able to find in the literature, but its synthetic counterpart, progestin or medroxyprogesterone acetate, does have an increased risk of breast cancer, so that's often confusing to the patient. But even with commercially available progesterone, there's only two strengths, and it's an immediate release product put in an oil that isn't absorbed very well. So we don't find patients do as well on the bioidentical commercially available uh, o- option. So, we most frequently will ask a compounding pharmacist to make. So, for example, 100 milligrams may be too little, 200 may be too much. So, we're so thankful that now we can send a prescription to our compounding pharmacist to get a personalized dose for the patient. Because I think that's one of the places that we went wrong with hormone therapy is it was kind of a one size fits all. I mean, that's how I was taught. What samples do you have? What, what's already out and then try to fit the patient into what's commercially available rather than fitting the therapy to a personalized approach to the patient.
2: Right. And that kind of lends me into the next topic about thyroid treatment, because that kind of um, lends itself to the
1: same type of, of thought process too, correct? That not one size fits all with th- thyroid. I would say maybe even more important to get a personalized approach to thyroid because What's The problem with thyroid that I see is what's commercially available, first of all, it's incipients or what what it's made in. It has either lactose or glucose, not glucose, gluten in it. And so a lot of our thyroid patients, especially if they have an autoimmune thyroiditis, have a gluten intolerance. So the thyroid medicine is actually in with gluten or lactose, which is not really good. Aside from that, you're really pigeonholed into their doses. Now there are a lot of doses of commercially available T4, but um, it's not completely um, personalized. Now for T3, we only have two commercially available doses. And what a lot of people don't realize in thyroid is when you're under stress, when you don't have the proper amount of vitamin D, if you don't have the proper amount of selenium or uh, iron or vitamin D, your body won't convert T4 into T3. So your thyroid makes T4. So think of it as your paycheck. I could give you a piece of paper, but until you cash it, you can't use that money. So the cash is the T3, which is the active form of thyroid. And so many of our patients aren't able to make that conversion. And we're really limited as to what was commercially available for T3. So then people think, well, let's take this armor thyroid, which some people feel great on, but it's a fixed ratio of T4 to T3. And that's great for pigs because it's porcine. For humans, it's not really a four to one ratio. It's more like sometimes a 10 to 20 to one. So I really love the option of a compounded thyroid medication, which lets me as a provider pick exactly what the patient needs based on their lab tests. So for me personally, now I've been taking a compounded thyroid also for over 10 years, probably longer than that. So what are your thoughts about testosterone in women? So testosterone in women, actually, there was actually just a world consensus that was published in the fall. And so the world leaders um, got together and discussed testosterone therapy in women. And so what they came up with is the following. They said, number one, the lab assays are not very accurate for blood. Uh, number two, um, there is no correlation between symptoms and blood levels for women. But taking all the lab, all the labs and all the studies into consideration, there does not appear to be an increase in cardiovascular complications with testosterone therapy. Number two, there does not appear to be an increased risk of breast cancer in with testosterone therapy. However, you know, they also found that there wasn't this is their recommendation. I don't agree with all of it. That there was no uh, benefit in supplementing premenopausal, but there was potentially in postmenopausal. And then they concluded their findings by saying, "Oh well, there's no commercially available testosterone for women, so we're out of luck," um, because <laughs> the you know any um, accred- not accrediting bodies, but all these organizations, for whatever reason, and I have my own theories of why, they don't really want to endorse compounding. So they would not put it as a recommendation, but we've been using compounded testosterone for, I mean, I've been prescribing it for over 15 years with good results. You have to know how to monitor it and you have to know the proper dosing. um, But I've had really good results with it.
2: That's great. So the last hormone that I have on my list, which is not all inclusive, but kind of dear to me, how are you using um, Estrial in your patients? Are you using it systemically? Are you using it vaginally?
1: I'm using it both systemically and vaginally. And I would say by far um, Estrial with or without vaginal DHEA is the best for vaginal symptoms. Estradiol is not as good for vaginal symptoms of menopause, atrophic vaginitis, whether it's urinary symptoms, painful intercourse, low libido, loss of sensation, atrophic changes. Estradiol doesn't seem to to work as well. And people sometimes absorb it systemically, even when it was, it's given in a vaginal form. Estradiol is the stronger type of estrogen. They all, there's three types of estrogen. They all work differently at different receptors. And the receptors are in the vagina are more geared towards estriol and androgens like DHEA. So we, we exclusively use Estriol. We will not use estradiol in the vagina because I don't feel that that's the part of the body that it needs to be in. I mean, it's great for the heart and the bones, but not as good for vaginal issues.
2: So do you have any stories that you can share with us um, about patients that have um, used hormones and maybe have a background of or pre-existing cancer in the back ground or concerned about cancer?
1: I have a lot of stories. A couple that come to mind is one patient who was um, diagnosed with breast cancer, either in her late thirties or early forties. I can't remember exactly. Um, But when you get that diagnosis of cancer, uh, our traditional hematologists, oncologists don't understand the difference in the different receptors and the different hormone preparations. It kind of just becomes hormones are bad right? Nobody should take any hormones regardless of what it is. So if you have a 38 year old with breast cancer, who's had her ovaries removed, she's actually at markedly increased risk of heart disease. The number one killer in women is heart disease. Number two, stroke. Number three, lung cancer. Number four, breast cancer. If you add up two, three, and four, you still do not equal the amount of deaths from heart disease. So this person who gets her ovaries removed before 45 has a markedly increased risk of heart disease. So this particular patient went on and and then got an osteoporosis related fracture in her early forties. Oh. So she came to us, um, she was still not 50. I can't remember exactly how old she was. Maybe let's just say she was 47, just not herself. Lots of symptoms, not to mention the osteoporosis, the poor sleep, the depression, you know, the painful intercourse. And she she was just about 10 years, 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 and I said, you know, we're going to give you hormones and we're going to monitor you though. We have to make sure that the level of hormone that we give you isn't more than your body would normally have at your age. So it's kind of like I approach hormone therapy, like financial aid. We're never going to get more than tuition as financial aid. You're only going to get enough to pay the tuition. So right. if we replace women's hormones right. so that they would have as much as their female counterpart who still has hormones would have that's not taking anything. That approach has been very successful for me. And we haven't had complications. Um, so she took the hormones. We have monitored her closely through the proper types of testing. And she said, you gave me your life, my life back. Nobody would talk to me about hormones. And we do sit down and say, listen, hormones aren't risk-free. I don't ever tell anyone there are no risks. There are risks with cancer, with, of cancer recurrence. And we don't know what one might, that's why we have to monitor the levels because the risk applies to the type of hormone, the dose of the hormone, the duration and the route of administration. That is what determines the risk. So she is so feeling so much better than she was all of her symptoms. And she, kind of was like, I can't believe I didn't come sooner to get this kind of relief. Mm -hmm. I've had other women, you know, with, um, cholesterol issues that, you know, have very low estrogen levels. And then once getting their estrogen back in balance, they've had an improvement in the cardiovascular cascade. I've had women who couldn't even have a pelvic exam, let alone have intercourse. Mm -hmm. And then after treating them with compounded estriol and DHEA, could yes, at least you know finally be, be uh, intimate again. They should have had a, uh, I had a cholesterol issues yes. that you know have very low estrogen.
2: Is she still there?
1: I'm mm-hmm. still here.
2: <laughs> so um so that lends me to the fear of Hormones may be blocking patients from um, seeking health, so or seeking relief of some of their symptoms or treating um, um, their osteoporosis or their vaginal dryness. So what do you recommend to these clients? Because I I get calls daily. What what direction should we point them in?
1: Well, the problem, I mean, you hit it on the head, it's that fear. So that all stems from this WHI study that was done in 2002. So we're talking about almost 18 years ago, a study done on synthetic horse estrogen from made from horse urine and synthetic progestin in women who were 65 years of age showed an increased risk of breast cancer and blood clots. And since then, there have been studies that were done in Europe using T- transdermal estrogen and micronized progesterone showing no increased risk of breast cancer for eight years in women 40 to 64 and a meta-analysis looking at 17 different studies that showed there's no increased risk of blood clots with transdermal estrogen, but those studies never got the same media attention. So what patients remember and what my primary care colleagues recommend is how this was on Good Morning America, July of 2002. Right. I remember that. We had a lot of calls after that.
2: <laughs>
3: yes, Absolutely.
0: So, all right, uh, Dr. Scott, I, I appreciate all that information. That's great. And we have people lighting up our Facebook, want to know more about the coronavirus. So I hope you're ready to roll into that. Give me just a few minutes to make some announcements. So I didn't get a chance to in, to do an introduction of our radio show, but you were listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discuss everything healthcare. And as you can already see, my wonderful wife is on the microphone today. I love it. She's doing a wonderful job. And I wanted to make sure that everybody, wish everybody a happy Easter, hope everybody had a happy Easter. And he has risen. And that is something we should celebrate every day, not just on Easter. So uh, we had some technical issues with the phone call, with the phone system at the radio station. We normally stream live at the AM 1470 KBSN studio at 1 to 2 p.m. every Monday. Um, So here we are on Facebook, and um, we will get you more information about this show. It'll also be on YouTube and um, a lot of different podcast forms. So um, follow us on Facebook, uh, on my personal Facebook, and and give us some comments and ask some questions. So, Dr. Scott, you have some interesting information about the coronavirus and why some get it and why some don't. You go.
1: Okay, well, first of all, let me preface it. I'm not infectious disease. I'm not a coronavirus expert. I am an integrative and functional medicine where we're looking at causes, right? So it really perplexed me why is this virus different than the flu? Because when you have influenza, we at first what we were hearing is, oh, the mortality rate is so much higher with influenza. Why is everyone getting upset about the coronavirus? You know, until we started escalating with our numbers. And so when we have the influenza virus, we always see that younger children and older adults are more susceptible um, and have more severe issues. But what we were seeing then is we were seeing more of these people, 30 Um, with no prior history of of any respiratory issues. Um, Yes, there was an increased risk for autoimmune people. Yes, there was an increased risk with diabetics. So what is the underlying factor? So in my world in functional medicine, I was at a recent conference where they were discussing this. So this metabolic instability seems to be um, the underlying factor. And here's my own personal theory is that a lot of these patients in their 30s and 40s, that had more severe issues, you know, who goes to the doctor at that age? We don't, we're not tested for these things. So we don't know if we have, uh, insulin resistance at that age, you know, so if you have at that age, when I was that age, I ate crap. I didn't sleep. I was delivering babies all night. I was, I was so much more unhealthy than I am now. So I can see why that age, that age range is getting a more severe. So I, I do believe that people that have in low immunity, high cortisol, high inflammatory load, high glucose metabolic issues are gonna be a risk. And we know that, that the diabetics also will have risk. So it just was really interesting to me to look at these underlying factors. And it's kind of like what I've been preaching about for years here is like, let's use this op- opportunity to assess your health, not wait till you have a disease but be healthy before.
2: Right, so prevention is really what this is all about because without prevention, um, well, it, it also in my mind says that if we're fearful of something, let's hold on to something that we can control. And I feel like our our behavior is something we can control. For example, if we're still in lockdown at home, we can still exercise, we can still choose to eat correctly. Um, But we also have this thought in our mind too, that we're gonna go for another wave in our country. So how do you speak to that?
1: Well, I think you make some good points is about, again, about the fear. And so you can look at that opportunity. I mean, whenever you're faced with anything, I mean, you can choose whether or not you're gonna have hope, right? And nobody can make you feel afraid. (laughs) Nobody needs to make you listen to the news. And so you've got, um, it's interesting. They actually did a study on the types of CEOs and there were three, three behaviors, which you can apply to patients too one subset just had fear and was like, just thought, oh my gosh, this is going to destroy my business. Everyone's going to get Corona. The second subset said, okay, it's time for me to just be on vacation. I'm just going to chill back, watch Netflix, whatever. And the third subset were, were what the CEOs that were using it as an advantage to pivot and work on things and adapt their business. So you can apply that to patients. You can sit in fear, you can chill and watch Netflix and take a vacation, which there's some benefit to that. Or you can say, Hey, now I'm home. I can walk outside every day. I can cook every day now instead of eating on the run. So I'm choosing to cook healthy. Now's the time that I'm going to try this intermittent fasting, or I'm going to try to not eat gluten. Um, So to me, you know, it it just seemed like a lot of my patients would say, Oh, I don't have time to make these changes. So now here you are with time. What are you going to do with the time that you're given?
2: Right. That's a good point. And I've noticed too as I am shopping during this outbreak that there's a lot of fresh foods still on the shelf or still in, in the store. So um, I think we could take advantage of making some changes during this time frame.
1: Well, yeah, think about it. What was everybody stockpiling? Gluten, dairy, pasta, rice? all high glycemic foods. So now people are sedentary. They're sitting, they're eating high carb meals. They're not exercising because I know at least me, even I'm still doing telemedicine, but I'm sitting, I'm not up and I'm not up and around as I would be in my office if I was seeing patients. So these people are doing it at home. And if you have any kind of underlying insulin resistance, that's just going to make it worse. And it's going to make your inflammation worse.
2: Right. So I think, Sometimes in the medical field we throw out um, the metabolic, um, and it's kind of dear to me because I I feel like that is something that all of our patients can control. Is because if we put ourselves at risk with being overweight, and and during this time frame that we're in lockdown, it's going to be really easy to put extra weight on. Um, and and here we're going to go into the fall, and we have ten. Pounds extra, five pounds extra. So, I love the advice that you're giving. That you know, this is the time to seize and and take the opportunity to take that responsibility for ourselves. Because it isn't just our own health. It's our neighbor. It's our children. It's it's everybody around us. Especially during this time frame. Wouldn't you say?
1: And the thing is, the one thing we do have we don't have control over when the stay-at-home order is going to be lifted or when the, the curve is going to be flattened. But the thing we absolutely have control over is what we put in our mouth. Right. And so to me, I don't know, I'm pretty black and white about those kind of things. It's like, I understand. And I'm an emotional eater as much as I was raised on be rewarded with sugar. So I get that. But I also think... That we need to, the message we need to send is let's be proactive about our health. Let's be that third group and pivot and make the changes.
0: Absolutely. Let's focus on things we can control. Thank you so much, Dr. Scott. Um, So, we have a person that wants to get into our Zoom meeting. His name is Carl Lambert, and he is talking about. Coronavirus, antibody testing and coronavirus and the social distancing. I would love for you to stay on our call if, if, if we could and we could have a three-way chat. Is that OK? Sure. Perfect. I'm going to I'm going to admit Carl right now. So why while he's coming in, um, I just want to tell you. So this is a perfect time to to talk about my book. I, I have a book on Amazon, as some of you might know, and it's called um, Sickened, How the Government Ruined Healthcare and How to Fix It. And like Dr. Scott says, there's a lot of things, a lot of rules and orders that we have been given that we can't, you know, that we can't control. And that goes a lot along with a lot of things that are, that are going on now and previously. And my book has a little bit of insight about things you can control. Let's not let the government control our health. Um, we can take control. So go, go to Amazon. It's on Kindle version. It's called Sickened, How the Government Ruined Healthcare and How to Fix It. And Carl, I see that you are on the line. Hello. I think you're muted, Carl. So there you are. I'm muted. Hey, hey, Sean. Perfect. Well, hello, Carl. Uh, Dr. Scott, Carl Lambert, and viewers and listeners. Uh, Carl Lambert is here to tell us a little bit about um, coronavirus antibody testing and social distancing. So uh, Carl, I'm going to go ahead and let Janet take over. OK. Well, welcome,
2: Carl, today. Um, You're the owner and also a practitioner at Ready Many Clinic in uh, East Wenatchee, and we've had you on our show. Thank you for returning on this subject. Um, So I'm going to let you jump in. And the first topic is your thoughts about um, healthy people and social distancing.
3: Healthy people and social distancing. Boy, I know we have a very short time on this, so I'll try and uh, keep it
0: as brief, um, and I think Carl. J- Carl, just to let you know, we have a little bit of extended time. Okay, so oh, we do. Good, you, you tell okay. us as much as you want. Okay, well,
3: Maybe. one of the things that uh, you know I was excited about coming on today was, uh, you know, how many of us have heard nothing but doom and gloom and death in the millions to down to five hundred thousand to you know the fear has been out there so much and what i have attempted to do all these last several weeks as i know that you have as well is keeping that 30,000 foot perspective and having a a voice of calm a voice of reason and now you know really what i want to try and do is give a voice of hope and a voice that yes we're going to get through this And we're actually gonna pass beyond this very well. And so, you know, the whole thing with social distancing. Yes, there's, you know, measurements of six feet and there might be particles out there of moisture or droplets. um, And nobody knows, you know, what is the actual dosing of the virus that you could get from this. Um, But it also comes back to, and we've talked about this, you and I, Sean and Janet, uh, the importance of hand-washing prevents 95% of infections. And I could go into so many studies that are are out there that show, oh, maybe 25% of men wash their hands after using a bathroom and 18% of females. You would think it'd be the flip the other way, but no, it's actually more men are washing their hands, but that's only 25%. Just imagine, I think after this whole pandemic is over, maybe that number will increase to 40, perhaps 50%. We'll start washing their hands, certainly hope more. Um, and so then then there's the whole social distancing and then there's the mask. That's a whole nother, uh, you know, we got the whole nother issue. we got the CDC saying now wear a mask and yet boy, there's solid studies out there showing that Yes, if you're wearing an N95 mask or a surgical mask, that will protect you. Uh, The cloth mask, I guess uh, the the benefit there is it keeps the spit back in your own face um, and you're protecting from others. But again, it's, uh, you know, if you're going to cough, you're going to sneeze, you know, it's doing this uh, and not into your hands that you then don't wash or you touch your face uh, with your hands. So the other goal of, you know, when we when I looked into this antibody testing and I was telling some of my employees today and even some of my friends, I would love for us to return to some sense of normalcy where moms and daughters get to hug their grandmothers and their moms again, uh, because hopefully through this antibody testing, it's like, oh, you already had this, go hug your mom, go hug your grandmother, and bring, you know, what I call kind of what is the very fabric of what brings us together as humans, and that's a relationship, that's the ability to be able to hug and say, I love you, more than the economy, the economy is secondary, but you bring back the fabric of what brings us together as humans, the economy will certainly follow.
2: Well said. I think Sean and I experienced that this weekend with friends. We zoomed over the weekend for two hours, just, you know, that desire to have that human interaction and and touch with your friends and and your loved ones. So um, I think there is a price to pay for not having that interaction. Um, So um, I'm glad you brought that up. So what about on um, the testing that you're talking about. Can you elaborate on the antibiotic, um, antibody testing?
3: So the, the antibody testing, which has already been done in other countries. I mean, Germany is an example where they've uh, taken um, uh, the serum, so blood work basically. So there's, first of all, there's the PCR or the nasal swab testing that they've been doing. And what they're finding is there's a narrow window where that might turnout positive that you have COVID-19. It, it could be a f- the window of day four to day 10. And hospital studies across the nation have found that 70% of those end up being positive, but it's a good likelihood that 30%, 20 or 30% were not just because they missed that narrow window. So then you add in antibody testing through the serum, through blood work, and we can actually determine if someone has had no exposure through that. So we look first at their Ig, IgM and we then look at their IgG, which is the memory immune cells. And so we can determine, boy, they had a recent exposure. They had a, uh, a distant exposure. So I'm hearing from a lot of my patients I had this horrible thing. Do you remember I came in and I got your staff sick back in December? I said, yes, I, I do. They were very sick, sickest I've ever seen my staff. And influenza was negative. We couldn't figure out other than some nasty viruses, certainly in the community. So this would allow folks to know that they had the exposure. They now have the antibodies. The antibodies are let's call them this, the cells that uh, say, hey, we can fight this now. And so uh, we'll know that by looking at their IgG, which is really the memory cells that say, we've seen this before. And if it comes back, we know how to fight it. So very helpful in kind of getting this information out there and having people test it would be great.
0: So Dr. Scott, um, do you have any insight on this? Any um, things that you can add?
1: So, I mean, I agree. There's there's like secondary and ther- uh, tertiary effects of this so- social isolation or physical distancing um, that, as a functional medicine provider, I'm concerned about the effect of cortisol, the effect on depression, and other things. And we like the other things that we talked about having an antibody testing. I mean, I I'm curious if it has the same. You know, have you have we determined the convalescence, like when the IgM peaks and the IgG peaks, and how long the IgM are positive? I mean, that's not my area. That would be great if we had all that information about it. And I know that when it's available, I'm going to get it done. And I'm going to have my staff to get it done, and my family to get it done because I agree. It would be nice to be able to reenter the world
3: again. Right. And so at least the information, uh, Dr. Scott, I'm getting from U.S. Biotech, where we'll do uh, order some of our testing from uh, on this. I'm looking at data points where it says if it's been recent exposure, seven to 10 days, we'll see the IgM will be elevated. The IgG will be low. So they're, they're getting those data points together. And then a dist- more distant exposure, we're going to see the IgG elevated and the IgM low. Uh, And then if they're still in recovery from exposure, still, still active, then we're going to see both of those, both IgG and IgM are elevated. So they know enough of that, those data points to say, okay, this is active versus yes, you have it. And, you know, now you can re-enter back into community, back into uh, family relationships.
0: So what are the thoughts, Carl or Dr. Scott, about um, social distancing healthy people actually might prolong the pandemic? Any any thoughts there?
1: Well, again, and not being an epidemiologist, I mean, obviously you have so many people affected and the reason why they wanted to flatten the curve is because there was the concern, especially in our state, about having enough PPE and enough ventilators. So by flattening the curve, you prolong the amount. So the area under the curve may still be the same amount of people exposed. It may not necessarily short, it won't shorten the duration or prolong the duration and it won't maybe do anything as far as severity. So I was reading an article this morning that said, is it better to get it earlier or later if you had to be infected? You know, everyone had to have chicken pox or whatever. And so they were saying probably later because of the concern about the PPE. And so I'm in Ohio and we were one of the first states to shut everything down. And so, what we're seeing as far as our reports is that our reported peak they think is going to be next week, and that we seemed that we'll be under the curve as far as the amount of i c u beds and ventilators um and our mortality rate is below that. But I have like a friend from medical school that's working in New York City in the front lines, and she's you know putting nine patients a day on the breathing machine you know and all these things, and it's very serious. So I think geographics matters. And so when you're talking about social distancing, healthy people, I don't think we can say the same thing for Ohio as we are for New York City or Detroit or even Cleveland for that matter. When you go out to eat in New York City, you're one foot from the next table versus, you know. and I don't know how rural you guys are. I know in Ohio, we're, we're kind of suburby, So we don't sit that close. We're not that close to people. Um but we we aren't like Montana, you know, so where people are really far apart, so I think those things matter
0: well we're we're kind of like montana <laughs> we're in eastern Washington in the you know so we live in a desert, we live uh in a very rural area, and I agree with you a hundred percent, Dr. Scott, is that even i don't even know if it can be state by state. I think it makes more sense local community to local community because Eastern Washington is much different than Seattle. And as you know, Kirkland, which is right north of Seattle, was a hard hit area. That was one of the first nursing homes that was hit. and um, But Eastern Washington, in, in our county, for instance, we've had 100 positive cases and two deaths. Um, so, you know, we've had very, you know, we haven't had near, near the the spread that they that they didn't see and I know I get it that's numbers also because we have not as many people but still we haven't had that many cases here. Well and p- part of that Sean too does have to do with again the viral
3: loading so in right. big cities you know you're in close proximity and you're going to have that viral loading effect and they do not know what is that dose where folks finally they they succumb to it they get sick back to if you're Less healthy, less and more frail. You're probably it's probably not going to take much viral loading to get sick. Um, but yes, in these rural communities, you know, so they are applying big city principles to even rural areas like this and have just shut everything down. Where, you know, I think if we take anything from this, you know, again, back to we've learned hand washing um, and you know, what hopefully we'll take from this too is what can we do to build up our immune systems and prevent a whole host of illnesses and viruses. Uh, I certainly don't want to be going through this every single year for the influenza, but it's almost like we've set up the precedent for doing this.
1: Well, I think that's a great point, Carl, because that is the issue. It's whatever the pandemic is now, but we have the influenza every year. And the problem is, is like traditional medicine is set up Yes, they're a little bit into prevention, you know, early detection, maybe. So when we're talking about heart disease, we've got metrics for that. But what do we do to monitor our immune system? Nothing in the traditional aspect. Now, us functional medicine providers, we're always constantly looking into that. But traditional medicine does not until after you have either an immune deficiency or an autoimmune problem. There's no screening for how well your immune system is working.
0: Right. I agree. That's right. So what what's your takeaway, Dr. Scott? That, you know, a quick two minutes on what we should do to make our immune system healthy.
1: Well, I mean, a couple things. I'll give you two things. Um, one thing is if there's ever a time to eat healthy is now. And so what a lot of people do is the standard American diet, which is cereal for breakfast or a bagel, a sandwich for lunch, and meat and potatoes for dinner. You got to get the plants in there. You know, your gut is most of your immunity and your gut is fed by the rotating the plants that you have. So by eating raw food and raw vegetables and uh, eating the colors of the rainbow and uh, uh, going away from the anti-inflammatory diet is huge. Also the auto, um, the IFM the Institute of Functional Medicine just put out a document and we actually have it linked to our website in case everyone, anyone's interested. Um, they put out a document of supplements that you could take. And it's really important because you do, this is not an opportunity for people to just slam supplements down and like people to benefit on these people who are scared of buying their supplements. So there's levels of evidence, meaning what is the level of evidence that it would actually help and what is the risk for a patient? So the top three things that I've been telling my patients, one is vitamin D. Um, And so there are some reports that vitamin D is slowing the, the, Virus getting into the cell and also making less of a severe case. So, if you don't know your vitamin D level, I've been arbitrarily saying five thousand of D daily. Vitamin C also. There's some reports of severe infections being treated with IV vitamin C. You know, we have that in our office, but we're not open for that right now. So, we've been recommending people take one to two thousand uh, uh, milligrams of vitamin D daily um, in prevention. And um, you know, quercetin is the other is the third one. Quercetin is something that people take for their allergies, and it's one gram, one to two grams a day. It's an anti-inflammatory and also prevents the replication of the virus. So those are the top three that have the least amount of harm and the best amount of protection. You know, I I would say you know probiotics could help as well getting enough sleep, you know, those things that are really important for your immune system. I know I have slept a lot more since my kids aren't in school. And I don't have to get up. And, um, you know, I, I always have been someone to do exercise. But again, this is a time where people should be looking at their health. Right. right.
3: So, and, so great, Dr. Scott, do you...
0: That's great news. That's great, great information, Dr. Scott. We appreciate it. Carl, what are your, what are, what, what are your suggestions with a healthy immune system?
3: Uh, absolutely. I mean, I just, uh, you know, concur with what Dr. Scott said there. And he, again, the, the gut health, that's really the, the engine that drives the system. Uh, all things, I mean, cardiovascular uh, prevention. So, you know, you put good things in the gut, uh, you're going to build up a great immune system. And I was going to ask uh, Dr. Scott if she had heard about uh, just some of the benefits of vitamin A as as well in in prevention. I cannot get any from any of the sources we are looking for. So it's been very frustrating, but certainly one of the recommendations.
1: So what the IFM document says is vitamin A anti-inflammatory enhances immune function. So it enhances the immune system. It does not do anything to decrease viral growth and it reduces symptoms. And so the... Uh, recommendation is ten thousand to twenty five thousand daily. It's one of those ones that's on the lower tier as far as it's not in the top tier as far as helping um, as much as some of the other supplements are.
3: Right, right. But I again, just.
0: For our our viewers, our Facebook viewers, we are going to put this together in show notes. So we will have all this information in there. And as always, you can call our pharmacy, Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy, uh, or message us on Facebook, uh, 509-764-2314. And we can answer those questions specifically. So that being said, Carl, about this testing, so how do we get the test? Because we're already having people ask about that. In fact, I want to get tested.
3: So we're going to start that up as soon as we start getting uh, those test kits into our office. We're looking at uh, seeing if we can have a satellite out there at the Moses Lake Pharmacy for folks to get tested. Uh, The biggest uh, thing that we're running into is, and you've all heard it, is the lack of PPE. So, you know, if there's anybody out there wants to donate uh, PPE, which would be uh, masks, I think we've got enough gloves, but masks are the biggest things. Uh, That would be great because, you know, I can't have my staff drawing the blood without those basic PPEs.
0: Yeah, that's right. So we appreciate you coming out, Carl, and and, um, actually setting up a site at our pharmacy. So let us know when you have the test because there are people already asking us. Um, So how can they get a hold of you in Wenatchee area? So, yeah, that would be the
3: best thing is even to get their name on the on the list. And that way we know how many to order. Um, and so the it's uh, the number to the to our clinic is five zero nine eight
0: eight eight six three three four. Awesome. Um, so um, what 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 are you guys's Dr. Scott? What are your parting words about everything we talked about today with with functional medicine and and the coronavirus?
1: Don't wait till you get sick to get healthy.
0: I will say that I, I hope this creates an opportunity for people to realize that there, it is never too late to get started and the most dangerous thing that we can be, do as an American every day is to be overweight and have a crappy diet. That, is, that, that kills more people than, than the coronavirus ever will. And this coronavirus is transient. It's gonna come and go. Cardio- cardiovascular disease, unfortunately in America, is gonna to continue to kill way more people after the coronavirus is long and gone. And by the way, just to let you know, the coronavirus will not be long and gone because it's been here for a long time and it's not going anywhere. We just need to have healthy immune systems to treat it. So Carl, what are, what are your parting words? Boy, my parting words are, you know,
3: let's uh, really, I wanted to come on and say, I wanna have a calm voice and a voice of reason. And let's, the the only solution that I'm hearing right now is let's do this antibody testing. Let's show those who govern over us that probably a good number of us have already had this and let's start re-engaging back into our communities, back into society.
0: That's right. So uh, on a parting note for what I would like to say is at the pharmacy we because moses Lake professional pharmacy is a compounding pharmacy we are actually been allowed to make up hand sanitizer by our by the FDA and by our lo, our state board of pharmacy so one thing that we are offering now for all you facebook viewers is we would love for you to call us hand washing is still the best just like carl says 95% of all disease can be can um, not can be stopped by transmitted by proper hand washing so But if you don't have access to hand washing, hand sanitizer can be can be um, also effective. So we are giving out little samples of hand sanitizer. So message us on Facebook and we would love to get you a a sample of hand sanitizer so we can do what we can to help prevent the, the spread of this this virus. So I think both of you today, wonderful, wonderful show. We love it. Uh, we've got a lot of questions on Facebook already. And thank you for the document that you sent me, Dr. Scott. I will I will definitely share that. And you guys have been listening and watching Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. Watch us every Monday, 1 to 2 p.m., uh, usually streaming live at AM 1470 KBSN Studio and on my personal Facebook and on YouTube. Next week, we have a personal trainer, Amy Duda. She's actually in Las Vegas. She is a local Quincy grown girl, uh, but she's in Las Vegas now. And she is going to talk about um, her weight loss journey and and how she has become a personal trainer. So thank everybody for listening and watching. We will talk to you next week.